Folks, I got a uh, monologue for you in two parts today. The first part is me doing some amateur psychology about Paul Wells and other journalists. I reached deep into their psyche without ever having interviewing them about the hurt that they have in their hearts from high school and how Justin Trudeau has healed it. The second part is to talk about how awful a weekend it was for Trudeau, ranging from his uh, debate, let's call it, and his argument with a volunteer at the sandbagging in the Ottawa floods, to his appearance on The Simpsons, to his calling the Japanese Prime Minister Chinese two times. So yeah, um, frankly, I, I think I probably should have divided the monologue into two. One would be called My Thoughts on Paul Wells' Hurt Feelings. The other would be What Happened to Trudeau. But I jammed them together. It's a doubleheader for you today. Hey, before I let you go, I would love it if, to support The Rebel, you could go to therebel.media slash shows and become a premium subscriber. Not only would you get today's show in video format, but you also get Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies' their shows too. And the eight bucks a month helps us keep going. Eight bucks a month ain't that much. All right, here's the audio podcast. You are listening to a Rebel Media Podcast. Tonight, Justin Trudeau has a really, really bad weekend. I'll show you the video. It's April 29th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon yeah. consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know, I used to think Justin Trudeau was like Barack Obama in terms of media coverage. In eight years, there was never a negative story about Obama in the mainstream media. Never. Not one. Now, in the conservative political media, sure, but not in the New York Times or the Washington Post or the big three networks, ABC, NBC or CBS, not on CNN. And of course, where a lot of young people get their news these days, late night comedy shows, Obama was positively embedded on their staff. Yeah, hard hitting journalism like slow jamming the news. I'm not in a position to criticize looks, but Michelle Obama isn't what comes to mind when I hear the word supermodel. But my God, she graced the cover of every fashion magazine and women's magazine for eight years. But you literally do have a supermodel now as the first lady, but not a single women's magazine has had her on the cover in two years. Literally not one. Name one. You can't. And don't get me started on Hollywood and the music industry, in case it wasn't obvious enough, they're Democrats. Uh, in 2012, Bill Maher gave a million dollars to an Obama super PAC. That's a comedian, journalist, just a million bucks. He did it again last year, 2018. That's how in love they are still with the Democrats. And you know, our Canadian media would do the same to the liberals if they weren't so cheap and poor. I mean, our Canadian media are completely in the tank for Trudeau. Not just the state broadcaster, this is Rosemary Barton here. They're completely in the tank for Trudeau, not just the state broadcaster, because of course these days all media are versions of the state broadcaster or wannabe. They all want to get in on that bailout money. So I thought it would be endless, this love affair. Even the eight-day international incident of Trudeau in India didn't really make the media stop loving him. They all cringed a bit. But they still loved the guy. They all bought his laughable Me Too excuse for sexually assaulting Rose Knight back in Creston, B.C. in the year 2000. Like I said, 
I do not feel that I acted inappropriately uh, in any way, uh, but I respect uh, the fact that someone else might have experienced that differently. I mean, severely normal Canadians were starting to back away from Trudeau. It's just it's getting worse and worse, um, especially as he seemed incapable of solving any real problems in the country. I mean, let's be honest. The establishment really didn't care that Trudeau was wrecking the oil patch. That's in Alberta. But when auto plants started closing in Ontario, well, it was time to care a little bit. But still, it was still a love-in. Until in February when Jody Wilson-Raybould came along, Trudeau's attorney general that he fired when she wouldn't agree to drop criminal charges against Trudeau's friends in Quebec at a corrupt engineering company called SNC-Lavalin. And give credit where it's due, it was the Globe and Mail that broke that story on the front page. And the reason it actually hit for the first time is that it showed that all of Trudeau's charms that had worked so well on the media were fake. He wasn't a feminist. He wasn't an Aboriginal supporter. He wasn't about sunny ways. He just said all those things like a pickup artist knows what compliments to pay to a young woman in a bar. Jody Wilson-Raybould, Jane Philpott, even Selena Cesar Chavan, all were thrown out by Trudeau when he had no use for them. Maybe he wasn't who he said he was. I think that was what finally snapped the media party out of love. The sense they had been tricked, lied to, that they had been that they had bought the pickup artist's compliments and flattery. To me, the greatest example of this is Paul Wells, the McLean's and CBC hack who so obviously had a man crush on Trudeau. Look at this picture. Look at them joking around here. Trudeau, tongue out, joking. We're buddies. I think that picture so flattered Paul Wells, who, let's be honest, has been a nerd his entire life. I think for half a second, Paul Wells thought, you know, there were cool kids in high school who never hung out with me. I was always marginal socially, always a bit weird, which he is. But this really cool guy was just joking around with me and he lets me call him Justin. And that picture there, we get just friends joking around. And I think it healed something emotionally in Paul Wells that had been hurting his whole life. He was a geek and suddenly a cool jock who got all the chicks was being nice to him. This is my analysis, my amateur analysis of Paul Wells. So Paul Wells was in love. And then Paul Wells found out it was all a trick just to get Paul Wells to do Trudeau's homework for him, like the jocks at school did. They weren't really bros forever. Paul Wells was just another notch on Trudeau's bedpost. Now, Rosemary Barton of the CBC is too deeply invested in her dream that maybe Trudeau likes her. But not Paul Wells anymore. He wrote a very angry, hurt diary entry that day, and McLean's decided to publish it as a commentary with the headline, The Imposter. I think it started with the words, Dear Diary. Maybe I'm wrong on that. But the point is, Trudeau, he's always who he's, who he's always has been. It's Paul Wells who has changed. Paul Wells just finally realized that Trudeau was a master manipulator, and he was suckered by it. Wells was just another one-night stand, just like Rose Knight was back in Creston, B.C. And really, whereas Barack Obama was the first black president, or at least half black, and he therefore represented some sort of healing to America's long-standing racial wounds, going all the way back to slavery, even though Obama's, Obama's mother's side of the family actually had slaves, and Obama's father's side of the family weren't, weren't even American. His dad was from Kenya. Um, 
the Obamas were not slaves in America, never were. In fact, uh, the Obama family were slave traders back in Africa, but still, he was an emotional salve for liberals. Here's how Joe Biden described Barack Obama once. I mean, you got the first sort of mainstream African-American who was articulate and bright and and, and clean and nice-looking guy. Now, of course, that's racist, but that's the liberal mind. They voted for Barack Obama to prove that they were not racist and that America was not racist. And, you know, point proved. And it is actually a hell of a point. I mean, do you think that France or Germany in 2019, let alone 2008, would elect a black man president or the United Kingdom? I mean, now, I mean, maybe uh, if you bring in 100 million more migrants, sure. But I mean, now, blacks are 12% of the U.S. population. So Obama obviously won by appealing to tens of millions of white Americans. Let me know when France is that open-minded. My point here is that because Obama's appeal, he's black, is indelible, as long as he remained black and didn't do anything shockingly atrocious, he'd always be a hero to the affirmative action left like Joe Biden. And he still is. He'll never lose that appeal. But what was Trudeau's appeal? Sure, he's got a famous last name, and he's young-ish and handsome-ish for a politician. He's, in fact, older than, than either Andrew Scheer or Jagmeet Singh. But still, he's dreamy in the eyes of a cat mum like Rosemary Barton. Like Paul Wells, she can see Trudeau as the boyfriend she could never get in high school, so she's still hoping. But the reason Paul Wells and Rosemary Barton loved Trudeau was because they felt he loved them too. That was the trick part. That was the pickup artist part. It wasn't his essence. He's not black. Sure, they love that he is the son of Pierre Trudeau, but he clearly lacks the intellectual gifts or the lifetime of achievement of Pierre Trudeau. They loved Justin Trudeau because he made them feel like he loved them and he cared about them and he flattered them and their little biases and sensibilities. He convinced them that he cared about the same things they did, including feminism and aboriginal reconciliation and sunny ways and doing government differently and being the completely opposite of that meanie, Stephen Harper, who came across as a dad, not as a potential boyfriend. Rosemary Barton doesn't doodle her R-B plus S-H in a heart, in her hope chest, the way she doodles R-B plus J-T and seals it with a kiss. My point is, it snapped. The fever broke. In a way, it could never break with Obama. Obama's never not going to be black. They're always going to love Obama. It broke with Trudeau. There's nothing worse than falling out of love as a result of a, of a slight this wasn't two lovebirds growing apart slowly. This was a cataclysm, a disillusionment. And so, miracle of miracles, Trudeau's Teflon is gone. And you know, that's all there ever was, just layers of Teflon. There was nothing underneath it. There was no there there. So we see it finally. I think I always saw it, but now everybody does. So what Trudeau used to get away with, he no longer gets away with. And I don't think it's that Trudeau is necessarily behaving more badly now than before. It's just that it won't be ignored by his lovers in the media party anymore. Paul Wells won't be burnt a second time. Once bitten, twice shy. You can't break his heart a second time. Like when those desperate representatives from that Indian band, Grassy Narrows, bought an expensive ticket to a Trudeau fundraiser and then begged him for help for all the mercury poisoning in that community. Help he promised them two years ago. Remember that incident? Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. People in Grassy Narrows are suffering 
Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for your donation tonight. I really appreciate the uh, donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. And, and as we know, the Liberal Party is filled with different perspectives and different opinions, and we respect them all, and our commitment to reconciliation continues to be strong and committed, and we will continue to engage. Thank you, sir, for your donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. I really appreciate you being here tonight. Thank you for being here. That is why we are moving forward on reconciliation in a real and tangible way. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for highlighting how important reconciliation is. Thank you for being here tonight, sir. Thank you very much for your donation to the Liberal Party. Um, so, as I was saying... He actually said, thank you for your donation to the Liberal Party. It was smug. It was a, yeah, yeah, ha, <laughs> You think you're embarrassing me, suckers? I got you $1,600. That's the real Justin Trudeau, and it's ugly if you're not in love. And Paul Wells isn't in love anymore, and half the media aren't in love anymore. Now, that was bad, that Grassinero's business. Well, he had a triply bad weekend. It started with the flooding in Ottawa, high rivers, floods, time to sandbag. It's hard work filling sandbags. Now, the military came to help. It's strong work. Women can help, of course, but it's mainly men. But imagine bringing your young children with you to sandbag. You don't do that. Well, Trudeau brought them specifically for a photo op. That's Justin Trudeau. Like I say, there's no there there. Now, watch this. Watch this video. It's about 90 seconds long. Now watch it all the way through. <laughs> all right. Do you know how long you've held up people picking up bags? I've been waiting in line down the road for 30 minutes while you've been here soaking up the race. Thank you. You know? Excuse me. Excuse me. You're not getting my boy. This is a free country. It's a free country, and I'm trying to speak to him, and he won't even acknowledge me. Thank you. I'm sorry for your challenge. Well, it's not my challenge. I'm a volunteer trying okay. to help someone okay. save their home. Sir, sir, we've been filling sandbags as well. Yeah. Okay. And, I just and you know why you're and here? I'm, yes. While I'm you're here, here nobody sorry. can pick up. I am here while you're here, no one can pick I up sand. I don't know sand. that, sir. I'm sorry. Well, sir. why don't you make yourself aware? Well, we are going. You know, to I was with a guy sir, who was I'm a staunch conservative, sorry, sorry, and sir, he said sir, if you'd actually do work, he'd change his vote and vote for you. Sorry, sir. I just spent half an hour. Can you listen to me, sir? Now that I've listened to you? Yeah, I'll listen. Okay. I'm glad to be here with my kids. We just filled sandbags for 15 minutes, which isn't enough. Up. Sorry. All sir. your RCMP sir. and security help people sir. up from sir. getting their I stuff. I can understand your frustration around security. I live frustrations with security every day of my life right now. That's something that I, that unfortunately is a reality in my life. Time but I'm taken. happy to he be here. They're about to open to these speak. dams. I'm happy to be here to speak with you, to listen to you, to speak with all and to point. encourage more Canadians to come out and volunteer. More people are coming and volunteer because we're I volunteered, to but I was in a Thank truck you, for an hour waiting you, while you were here for your with a photo op. I have the most insincere thing I've ever seen. I'm sorry, sir. That's un un unfriendly and unneighborly today. We're here to help. Thank you. That's incredible. I want to look at it again. I want to break it down, though. The first five seconds, he's literally posing for a photo op with his young children. And obviously everybody is stopping work for him. And then there was someone who was actually, you know, there to do something, to help, and he just loses it. Here's the first five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you know how long you've held up 
people picking up bags. I've been waiting to lie down the road for 30 minutes while you've been here soaking up the race. You know? Now, he says he's been waiting for 30 minutes. Why would he lie about that? It's surely true. You don't bring in someone like Trudeau who needs that level of security to a place where masses of strangers need to come and go freely in an emergency way. You don't do that. You wouldn't bring Trudeau into a hospital emergency room if you were trying to tend emergent victims, unless photo ops are your essence. Like I say, that's all there is to Trudeau. There's nothing besides photo ops. But look at that woman who came up to him there. Who is she? The one who just came to face him down. She's not security. Who is she? Well, she's someone who immediately puts her hands on that guy and gently pushes him away. Look carefully at that. Excuse me. Excuse You're me. You're not getting my boy. This is a free country. It is a free it's a free country. country and, and I'm trying to speak to him and he won't even acknowledge me. That woman's Karen McCrimmon. She's a liberal MP putting her hands on him. But by, by what right? Now, it obviously doesn't hurt him physically. But what do you think would happen if that man put his hands on her and pushed her away? Why was she doing that to him? Trudeau's security obviously didn't think it was necessary. By what right does that liberal MP do so, other than liberal divine right? Here's more. Now, listen to Trudeau go into his uh, thank you for your donation mode. Take a look. Yes, sir. Thank you. I'm sorry for your challenge. Well, it's not my challenge. I'm a volunteer trying okay. to help someone okay. save their home. Sir, sir, we've been filling sandbags as well. Yeah. Okay. And, I just and you know why you're and here? I'm, yes, while I'm you're here, here nobody sorry. can pick up. Hang on. The hands again. What, what's with the? What's up with that? Can that man put his hand on Trudeau's arm, or is that just something Trudeau does to mere? Citizens, I tell you, if that volunteer put his hands on Trudeau like that, he would be arrested that moment and tackled and handcuffed. I can assure you. In fact, putting your hands on someone is a technical definition of arrest. It's one of the ways you know you're under arrest. If a cop puts their hand on you, why does Trudeau do that? You know, Trudeau did that to Kathy Catula, too. Do you remember her? She was the crying mother who told Trudeau she couldn't afford to pay higher power prices. And he just went right up to her unsolicited, without permission. He grabbed her. And what was she supposed to do? It's a dominance move. And I'm in control of you move physically and psychologically. I'm in control of you. It's something Trudeau has clearly done his whole life, especially to women, especially to women he wants to have under his thumb. He just can't stop invading the space of women. He's like creepy Joe Biden that way. Always touching. Always touching. All right, back to the video. Here's some more. Oh, you're here. No one can pick I up don't know sand. That, sir. I'm sorry. Well, why don't you make yourself aware? We are going. To, you know, going to I was with a guy sir, who was I'm a staunch today. conservative, sorry, sorry, sir, and he said sir, if you'd sir, actually sir, do work, he'd yes. change his vote and I, vote I here for you. Sorry, sir. That's sincerity. I just spent half an hour. Can you listen to me, sir? Now that I've listened to you. Yeah, I'll listen. Okay. I'm glad to be here with my kids. We just filled sandbags for 15 minutes. Look at all that touching again. But wow, did you hear that, guys? He filled sandbags for 15 minutes before he took a break to pose for a photo op. 15 minutes. What a saint. What a hardworking man. He couldn't go 15 minutes before breaking for taking a break with his kids. Because who doesn't take children to do hard physical labor in an emergency situation? I mean, 
There wasn't a single other child on site, of course not. But this dilettante was really doing nothing more than in his India trip, where he used his own children as props there. They were in Indian costumes, his own kids. They're helping out with sandbags costumes now. India costumes, sandbags costumes, both are fake props. He uses his own family as fodder. Here, here's some more of the video. Help people up. Sorry. All your RCMP and security help people up from getting their stuff. I can understand your frustration around security. I live frustrations with security every day of my life right now. That's something that I, that unfortunately is a reality in my life. But I'm happy to be here. Hang on. That privileged, pompous trust fund child was saying it's such a burden for him to have private security in his life. The point was he needlessly brought that security to a relief area to an emergency area. But you have to understand, Trudeau can't give the moral or emotional high ground to this volunteers. Sure, Mr. Neo-Nazi, you wanted to help, and sure, you're mad at me for slowing things down, but you have no idea how much I suffer with my VIP security. I have it so much worse than you, sir, so don't you play your moral card on me. Trudeau was actually trying to outbid him for moral anger and righteousness. Here's some more. Be here They're about to open to these speak. dams. I'm happy to be here to speak with you, to listen to you, to speak with all leaders, and to point. encourage more Canadians to come out and volunteer. More people are coming and volunteer because they're I volunteered, but I was in a Thank truck you, for an hour Thank waiting you, while sir, you were here for your with a photo op. I have the most insincere thing I've well. ever seen. That's it right there. No one believes the shtick anymore. No one believes the pickup artist's lines. Certainly not that guy, I bet he's 55 years old. I bet the percentage of 55-year-old men who support Trudeau in this country, I bet it's less than 20%. I've shown you stats before that for all men of all ages, I think it's just 50, 25% support Trudeau. For 55-year-old men like that, I bet it's like in the teens. We all see right through Trudeau the phony. Even Paul Wells does. His arm touching, his I have it worse than you lies, I don't think anyone's buying it anymore. Now, I'm not quite 55, but I know the kind of guy this guy is, a volunteer, and I know he sees right through Trudeau, the imposter, as Paul Wells would call him. Uh, but, but look at the end. The man just walks away disgusted. But Trudeau has to get the last word in. He always has to get the last word. Thank you for your donation. Here's a thank you for your donation moment. I'm sorry, sir. That's un, un, unfriendly and unneighborly today. We're here to help. Thank you. Look at the contempt in his face there. <laughs> so he name calls that volunteer. Trudeau called that man names. Unhelpful, unneighborly. He actually is a literal neighbor who came to help. Not to, came to take photos. He literally is a neighbor. But the pickup artist uses a manipulative trick called a neg. I'm going to disparage you. I'm going to put you down. I'm going to hit at the moral confidence of the mark. That's how Trudeau treated Kathy Catchula. That's how he mocked the Grassy Narrows Indians. It's, it's, what he, it's what he did here. I think Trudeau in his own way is a sociopath. I know he's a manipulator. I mean, look at this posed shot. <laughs> Do you think Trudeau was doing anything meaningful here? Anything helpful here? Or was he maybe asking them, hey guys, what's the optimal place to take a selfie? Oh my God. Insincere. It's exactly right. People see through him now. It's not working now. He's an empty suit now. He's empty socks. That was a disaster. And then came this. 
What a real pleasure it is to welcome uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe uh, to Ottawa for the second time, uh, to Canada for the second time in a year, to Ottawa uh, for the first time uh, of this mandate uh, on the occasion of uh, 90 years of, of uh, diplomatic relations between Canada and China, uh, of, uh, Canada and Japan. Uh, so I know it's been a, a busy week for him, but I am very, very glad uh, that uh, you were able to make such time for the tremendous friendship uh, that we celebrate every day between Canada and China. Okay, yeah, that's the Prime Minister of Japan, not China. You know, Japan and China, they don't much love each other. Lots of wars, lots of bad blood both ways. Nuclear threats from China against Japan, from North Korea against Japan. North Korea is China's stalking horse against Japan. And the Japanese haven't always been saints either. Google the rape of Nanking if you want to learn some history. But imagine meeting the Japanese prime minister and calling him Chinese. Not once, but twice. Why? Is it that all Asian people look alike to you? That's what they'd say about it if it were a conservative prime minister who made that gaffe. I think it's more likely that Trudeau just doesn't have a clue about anything. I've never heard him mention Japan ever about anything. I think he just doesn't care. I mean, Japan, it might as well have been Djibouti or Burundi or some other place for all Trudeau knows. I, I think he knows nothing about it. Do you remember when McLean's magazine asked him what his favorite Baltic country was? And he said, that's not a thing. Even his weirdness. I mean, the prime minister of Japan has not, in fact, visited Ottawa twice. Is, is Trudeau, it was, was he drunk? I'm sorry to ask, but we know that Trudeau spends thousands of dollars on every flight on alcohol. I presume he drinks it. Remember this meeting in Chicago? Look, he's so drunk, he's literally wobbling on his feet. Thank you so much. Was he drunk when he met the PM of Japan, or was he high? I know you think I'm being mean, but we know he has huge liquor bills, and we know that he boasted about smoking marijuana since becoming a parliamentarian. Is that what was happening there? Um, the CBC went into full damage control mode, saying that China was on the top of his mind. Can you imagine saying that? That he said that only because he was so focused on the policy problems presented by China. Yeah, sure he did. Have you ever even heard Trudeau mention those policy problems with China ever? You know, China still holds two Canadians hostage over there. Uh, they have since Christmas. You know China just banned Canadian canola, right? You know this, right? I don't think Trudeau knows. But then last night, the icing on the cake of a busy weekend. The Simpsons, you know that cartoon that's become painfully woke and liberal with Lisa Simpson as a social justice warrior. Normally they would love Justin Trudeau. They'd invite him to be his own voice for the cartoon. They've done that with many celebrities and politicians before. Well, they had Justin Trudeau on last night. For some reason, they didn't get Trudeau to do his own voice. I think it's because they mocked him mercilessly. You know this old photo, right? This stunt? This party trick, this gimmick uh, that used to delight journalists like Paul Wells. Well, watch this clip. Mm. Mr. Trudeau? Yes, Lisa? Oh, I am really, really sorry about what our president called you. I don't think about it. I've moved on. Weak. He called me weak. Absolutely. Let me ask you, does this look weak? Seriously? 
Wow, that is impressive. Uh, watch your tie. So listen, if I could just ask you one question about the SNC-Lavalin scandal. Yeah, I'm not going to say that's really funny. I don't think The Simpsons is that funny anymore, but that's ridicule. That's international ridicule. And right on cue, the CBC, they said that The Simpsons is racist or something. I think that's the first time they ever did a political analysis of The Simpsons ever. Uh, they're just trying to support their boyfriend. Still, they have to. Paul Wells won't. So, yeah, falling out of love. It is tough, but better now for the media party to fall in love with Trudeau now six months before the next election, than six months after it. I wouldn't have said this before. I haven't said this before. I don't want to get my hopes up. I am a pessimist. I'm a skeptic. But I actually think Justin Trudeau will lose the next election. If not outright come in second place, I think he will certainly lose his majority. But these past three days, these self-inflicted wounds that no media other than the most obsequious bottom paid for CBC would mop up for him, I think he's going to have a terrible six months. I think he's going to lose. What do you think? Stay with us for more. Two, three footsteps. When I hear a loud bing, I thought Lori may have fell, or the table tipped over in the lobby right here. I turn around, and I see a sight that I, undescribable. Here is a young man standing with a rifle, pointing right at me. And I look at him. He had sunglasses on. I couldn't see his eyes. I couldn't see his soul. And I see Lori laying on the floor unconscious. And her dear husband, Dr. Howard Kay, who's like a brother to me, is trying to resuscitate her. And he faints. And he's laying there on the floor next to his wife. And then the daughter, Hannah, comes out screaming, Daddy and Mommy, what's going on? This is the most heart-wrenching sight I could have seen. That is Rabbi Goldstein, the Chabad Synagogue rabbi from Poway, which is a suburb of San Diego. Of course, he's talking about the terrorist attack on that synagogue. The rabbi himself, I don't know if you saw in the very first shot, lost an index finger as he fought back against the terrorist. Another congregant, a convert to Judaism, Jonathan Morales, who is a member of the border police, got his firearm and fought back. And unfortunately, Lori Kay, of course, succumbed to her injuries, but it could have been far, far worse. Well, our own Kean Bexty is on the scene and was there as Rabbi Goldstein addressed the crowd. He is there again today. Kean, thanks for joining us via Skype from right outside the synagogue. Thanks for having me. Uh, tell me a little bit, I mean, obviously, I don't need to ask you what the mood is. It's one of sorrow and shock, but things could have been a, a lot, lot worse. Am I right? Uh, they could have been a lot worse. Uh, I'll just, I'll give you a, a visual of what this place looks like right now. Um, they're setting up for a funeral and for Lori Kay. She was the individual who 
was shot by the assailant, um, but you're right, it could have been a lot worse. There could have been a much higher death toll. Uh, an individual by the name of Jonathan Morales uh, picked up a, a sidearm inside of the building and chased the shooter out who was inside of his car already because another individual by the name of Oscar Stewart threw a chair at him and charged at him while yelling, uh, as reported by the Daily Caller earlier. Uh, he, so Oscar chased him out of, of the synagogue itself, and then Jonathan swooped in with his firearm, uh, shooting off a couple shots at the vehicle as it looked like he was picking up another rifle. Uh, and then after Jonathan let those shots off, the, the assailant fled and was eventually arrested by the police. That's incredible. We've set up a website called thankyoujonathan.com. You did a great little video for us that we uh, put up earlier today of various people at the synagogue last night saying thank you to him. Of course, there was that other congregant as well. Um, what was interesting to me is that the rabbi broke with the official left-wing narrative because, of course, number one, it was a gun wielded by Jonathan Morales that saved the congregation. And number two, the rabbi was delighted to get a truly uh, warm phone call from Donald Trump. I think we have a clip of that. Let me play for you a short clip of the rabbi speaking about Donald Trump. Here, take a listen to this. And he spent close to 10, 15 minutes with me on the phone. I went, it's the first time I've ever spoken to a president of the United States of America. He shared with me condolences on behalf of the United States of America. And we spoke about the moment of silence. And he spoke about his love of peace and Judaism and Israel. And he was just so comforting that I'm really grateful to our president for taking the time and, and making that effort to share with us his comfort and consolation. Kian, I think that, uh, I think the rabbi was speaking truthfully there. He's a Chabad rabbi, which means he's more conservative. He's not a liberal Trump basher. I believe that Trump was very warm. Trump can be actually wonderful in these moments of crisis. Uh, two ways that this breaks the narrative. Number one, the rabbi's not a Trump hater. And number two, a firearm uh, indeed was involved in committing the crime, but a firearm stopped it from becoming a massacre. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the the rabbi spoke uh, very nicely about how uh, Donald Trump called him, the president called him, and was very warm, spoke to him like an old colleague. There, He was also talking later at the vigil that was held yesterday about this phone call, and he went in, in detail about what they talked about. He talked about the state of Israel and his support against uh, the Jewish, uh, Donald Trump's support uh, against the fight against anti-Semitism. It was very nice. He said he spoke to him like an old colleague, speaks to how personable uh, and kind Donald Trump really is, contrary to what the mainstream media and the left will say. Hmm. Um, now, uh, I understand they're preparing right now for the funeral. It's a Jewish tradition to bury the dead very, very quickly. So uh, it, it looks like around you they're setting up for that. I understand the funeral will happen today at uh, we're recording this just before it happens. It'll happen today at 5 p.m. Eastern time. You're, of course, on the Pacific coast there. Yep. Um, tell me, uh, have, you, have you had a chance to speak to anyone? Uh, who's, uh, have you had a chance to communicate with the rabbi himself, or was it just at that press conference? I can imagine he's extremely busy. He's very, very busy. Uh, he's had a few engagements with some of the larger outlets. 
Uh, and of course, I don't have the resources that CNN does to get a hold of these people. I believe he's in the synagogue behind me right now, and I'm trying to be as respectful as possible to the situation uh, and the people right now. So I don't want to step on too many toes, but I am going to try and uh, get a hold of him or uh, Oscar Stewart, who I believe is also going to be at the funeral, but I'm not too sure on that. Uh, I'm going to see who I can get a hold of. That's that's why I'm here, so that I can be on the ground uh, and, and talk to these people. One of the questions I have for the rabbi is I want him to go a little bit more in detail uh, in his call with Donald Trump. But I also want to know if he thinks that it's important that the Jewish people arm themselves in the future. Um, lots of folks here have been saying that similar similar to uh, situations previously where, where synagogues had no firearms uh, in, in, able to, in order to defend themselves, they think that that shouldn't be the case going forward and Jewish people should take it upon themselves to defend themselves. Yeah. Well, listen, I know you, you've been busy and you've already filed two videos that we've put up. Uh, please do try and make contact with Oscar Stewart, who drove him from the facility. That's actually a real hero, too. Uh, if you can contact Jonathan Morales, I understand he has a very interesting story that he's, uh, as you can tell by the name, a Hispanic man who has only recently discovered that he has a Jewish heritage and that he actually comes up to this Chabad from, I mean, he sounds like a very interesting character. Uh, if you can make contact with either of them or the rabbi, uh, there's one more thing I'd like you to find out while you're there, and I'm sort of giving you story suggestions while we're talking. But I understand that Jonathan Morales did not have his firearm on his person, and that he had to go and get it, because uh, I understand that maybe the sanctuary itself is a gun-free zone. Now, I've been to Israel, and I know that there are firearms in synagogues, even in, especially in Israel, because you never know when there's going to be a terrorist attack. I don't, and again, I think you're wise to be respectful on this grave day, but I would like to know if perhaps the synagogue has revisited its thinking, and if perhaps in the future they would allow a lawful firearm to be on the person of a congregant in the actual sanctuary uh, because it, it seems to me uh, that that firearm had a key role in averting the massacre and having a gun-free zone sign on a synagogue is tantamount to saying we're sitting ducks. What do you think of that? Yeah. No, I think you're right, and and it is just secondhand information that I'm hearing uh, from people who were there on location. Uh, they said that he didn't have the firearm on his person; he had to go pick it up from somewhere. I'm not sure where that was, whether it was not whether it was in the rabbi's office or or what. I'm not entirely sure, uh, but I do know that he didn't have it immediately accessible. And perhaps if he did, he, he could have saved the one life that was taken yesterday or two days ago. Well, listen, I'm really glad you're down there. Uh, I think uh, this incident will be quickly forgotten by the mainstream media. Number one, because thank God it was not a massacre. It could have been. But number two, the narrative of the heroes and the rabbi praising Trump is so contrary to the official narrative, they're just going to skip right over. What do you think of that? I think you're absolutely right. Uh, they're, they're already moving on. I believe there was another shooting. Uh, maybe it was in I can't recall which state it's in right now. I've been quite busy, but there was a recent uh, shooting that had a bit higher of death toll, and I don't know if uh, the the conservative, uh, sorry, the liberal narrative probably works a little bit better 
over there than it does here. So we'll probably see the mainstream media fleeing to the next available opportunity. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm glad you're down there. Thanks very much. And give us what news you can. I think you're wise not to be too pushy. I mean, I, you're, I, I've seen you in action in Alberta in the election, and that's a good time to have elbows up. But on the day of a funeral, it's wise to, uh, if you're going to uh, err one way or the other, it's best to err on the side of uh, uh, politeness, I suppose, and deference because, of course, be someone did, of course, lose their life yesterday. Well, thanks for being there. And folks, if you want to sign the, the petition, it's not even a petition, it's a thank you card to Jonathan Morales. You can go to thankyoujonathan.com. Thanks so much, Kian. Thanks, Ezra. All right. That's Kian Bexty down there in Poway, which is uh, actually in the vicinity of San Diego. Stay with us. More Head on the Rebel. Welcome back on my monologue Friday about the Notre Dame Cathedral fire. Liza writes, I think they are trying too hard to lead us to believe that Notre Dame was an accident. Who's going to buy, buy that without proof? Even then, they can manufacture their own facts. Trust is absolutely broken. Well, that's the thing. The instinct in the entire 5P professionals, especially politicians and the media and police, to immediately say, oh, it's not terrorism. Anytime, not just in this time. I think it makes it very hard to trust them later. It really is that fable about the boy who cries wolf. You know, it may well be. We don't know the facts yet. It may well be. It was just an accident. But it's hard to believe a liar who always lies to you. And I point out that years later, we still don't know what happened in the Las Vegas mass shooting. I'm, I have no conspiracy theory for you. I'm just saying it's bloody hard to believe the official sources of facts anymore. Henson writes, your suspicions regarding the fire and how quickly Notre Dame went up in flames is rightly placed. Yeah, again, I'm not a fire expert, and uh, I would tend to yield to fire experts. The New York Times relied on some professor in New York. Okay. Um, I found the 13-year chief architect of Notre Dame who was in charge of fire security and wiring everything, and I find him a lot more credible, and he says he couldn't believe what happened and found it very skeptical that 800-year-old oaks would burn like they were tinder. Bruce writes, the Notre Dame fire has all the hallmarks of a terrorist act, but we aren't allowed to question the experts. They have their say, and we must obey. Yeah, and that's the problem with fake news, and that's the problem with political spin, is you need to rely on someone. You need to rely on the authority of someone. You have to have some trust. It's so eroded. On my interview with Mark Morano about the Extinction Rebellion protest, Paul writes, environmentalists have no idea what a world without fossil fuels would look like. That is true. And that's why I, I think I remarked to, to Mark that so few first-generation immigrants to Canada, at least from poorer countries, are environmentalists. Because if you, I mean, if, if you've, I've been to Haiti. If you've ever been to Haiti, I'm sorry, the place is so messy and garbagey and dirty, and all you want to do there is like, clean it up. If you came from Haiti to Canada, you would never join a campaign to deindustrialize because you came from the squalor that is that. Um, that's why that in the main, these environmentalist movements are rich, bored, luxury kids who need to invent something to care about because if you actually are from the developing world, and I mean, it, Haiti is a mess. I'm just using that as an example. Think of India. Think of China. You love 
the cleanliness, the order, the health, the safety, the comfort, the aesthetic pleasantry of our modern industrial society. Only someone, it's like those rich kids who pay a lot of money to buy uh, jeans that look poor, used, vintage, distressed. Uh, you pay a lot of money to look poor. That's the rich folks. And I think that's what this whole global warming uh, cult is. Well, folks, thanks for watching today's show. I'll be back tomorrow. Until then, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, good night and keep fighting for freedom.